My name is Zach Thompson. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Calvary, and uh, Happy New Year. Happy 2024. It feels weird saying it about a week after we, we shouted it on, on uh, midnight or at a more appropriate time for, for some of us. Uh, normally, we, we have a, a Sunday that's much closer to New Year's Day, and so it, it feels a little bit weird saying it so late after the fact, but indeed... Happy New Year. Uh, it's, it's an exciting time uh, for, for a couple of reasons. One is we are uh, about two weeks removed from our third anniversary of being a church. Uh, our first Sunday that we had our doors open was uh, January 17th, 2021. And so for us to be coming up on three years of, of worshiping together, of, of being an impact in the community is, is a really exciting time. Uh, church planting is dangerous. It, it, it uh, doesn't always work out. In fact, it, it, it works out less often than, than uh, not. And with us reaching our third year, we're, we're hitting a, a pretty significant, or we're coming close to a pretty significant milestone of uh, stability. And, and that's been really exciting. Never guaranteed anything, but it's been uh, a delight to be with you all for these three years and excited to see what God continues to do. Uh, with it being the new year, it's, it's the natural point for things to be launching. And there's quite a bit that's going to be starting or restarting here uh, at Calvary in Thornton. Uh, for the men in the room, there's, there's a variety of different opportunities. Uh, and you were bombarded with postcards as you came in uh, because we have uh, our studies coming back. Uh, Caleb Mitchell leads our Monday night study, which uh, has been such a, a hallmark of, of this church since we've been open. Uh, so grateful for his leadership there. He's going to be helping lead men through uh, the book Desiring God, helping us to see our joy and satisfaction that's found only in God. Uh, I'll be leading a group again on Tuesday mornings uh, before work. It's, it's an early crowd from 6.30 to 7.45, and I'm going to be teaching heresy. And, and I'm not joking about that one. I will be teaching heresy at that time. So if you want to hear what we don't believe, that would be a great opportunity for that. Our, our women uh, have, have quite a bit that's starting to begin. They as well have a Monday night study and a Thursday morning study. It's not so early as the one I'll be doing on Tuesdays. This is, I, I believe it starts at 10, uh, 9.30. Did it used to be 10? Okay, so that's just not be messing up horribly, just minimally. 9.30 on Thursday morning. So Monday nights, uh, Thursday mornings at 9, but both will be going through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John together. It'll be a great series. We have a, a new ministry that's starting up called Mentoring. It's a one-on-one -on -one relationship uh, to help uh, point each other back to God, to find encouragement and prayer and, and be centered on God's word. If you're interested in that, these vital relationships that we have, there's an informational meeting about women's mentoring after second service today. Mops is coming back. That was a great addition in this past fall for, for moms who have kids from birth to, uh, to five years old. It's a great community to, to get to be in that unique stage of life, but also be pointing each other back to Jesus. That starts up on the 9th. Life groups are coming back uh, over the next few weeks. If, if you are looking for an opportunity to be connected with other people in the church to talk about what's going on in your life, to better apply what we talk about on a Sunday to your life specifically, to get to know and be known by people in the church, life groups is a great avenue for that. If you have any questions about men's, women's, or life groups, I'm going to ask you to go and talk to Justin. He'll be out in the lobby, and he would be more than happy to give you more information on that. 
students coming back as well. They have their kickoff uh, this upcoming Wednesday on the 10th as they are getting ready to go through the book of 1 Samuel together. So lots that, that's launching in this, uh, the early stages of January here. There's a lot that we're really excited about as we celebrate our third year, as we're kicking off all these different ministry areas. It's, it's an exciting time. We're also launching a new series that we're going to be in that we are calling Flourish. And I think that this, this series that we're going to be going through through the month of January has a couple links to this time that we find ourselves in. Uh, for one in particular, there's, there's so much around us that's, that's giving us plans or, or telling us that we need to get our act together or, or giving us hopes about how in this year, in the year 2024, this could be better than any other year, that we can be our best selves. In other words, that here's some things that we could do so that we can truly flourish. I was watching a soccer game early on New Year's Day and the first commercial that I saw was for Peloton. And in that same commercial break, there was a discounted gym membership that you can get, but only for this month, for this month only, is it cheaper. And then I also saw three more Peloton commercials before the game came back in the second half. It's just all over the place. I keep getting app recommendations of things that's gonna help me stay on track of my calorie or reading or planning or mindfulness goals, whatever it might be, all around us is telling us, here is what you could be doing. Here's how you could stay on track. Here's how you can flourish in this upcoming year. And yet, so much of those things focus on the things that we can accomplish. You know, if you just try really hard, or if you just set the best goals, uh, all these things that, that's focused on what I, as an individual, can accomplish, and it falls short of what it truly means to flourish. There was a study not that long ago from the Dartmouth Medical School that talked about this idea about what we are missing as a society and, in fact, uh, how it's negatively impacting the next generation that's, that's being raised. They, they concluded uh, with this point, they said, we are hardwired as people for other people for, and for moral meaning and openness to the transcendent, something bigger than ourselves. We need those things. Meeting these basic needs for connection is essential to health and human flourishing. Because in recent decades, we as a society have not been doing a good job meeting these essential needs, large and growing numbers of our children are failing to flourish. See, the Bible's clear in the world that we're in around us that, that to truly flourish, to truly be as we were made to be, to, to find identity and, and joy and, and happiness and life and, and direction, it, to live out of how we were made to be requires connection with God, others, and this world that we're in. That's how we were made, how we were designed by God. God made us in his image to reflect him to the world, to, to know him and be known by him. God made us as stewards over this world. God made us declaring it is not good for man to be alone. Which gets to the other link that I think this series uh, has with this time that we're in. And it's a link back to the, the series that we just concluded. We, we spent some time going through the book of Revelation. 
And we continue to see throughout that book over and over again what God has done for his people and what it is that he will do. What God is doing, the, the hope of all creation, the hope of the entire Bible is, is this repeated phrase that God will be their God and they will be his people. It's this close, intimate relationship that we are known by the God of the universe, that he knows us individually and we get to know him, to be in relationship with him. That is the goal of the Bible that we see completed at the end. And the picture that's given to us to to try to understand what is this closeness, what is this intimacy, what is this love that God has for his people look like? What tells us that this is like bride. Tells us that God's people are presented as a bride before him. That's the picture that we have of, of how close we are with God, of how much he loves us, of how much he cherishes his people. And so the question that comes from that is, if this is the image, if this is the result of God's work, if this is what he calls his people to be, how do we be the bride? If we are brought together in this relationship with him, how then do we interrelate with each other? As we look, look at what God has done and that shapes our lives, how then does that shape the relationships that we have around us? So that's what we're gonna spend our time in this series we're gonna look over the next few weeks at specific relationships, but we wanna spend our time in, in what's gonna be the bedrock passage, kind of the, the foundational text that's gonna carry us through. And that comes from Colossians chapter three, starting in verse 12. So as we look at what Jesus has done for that, how that shapes us as individual, we see that, that the love that he has for us is the same love that we have for others. As we see that he brings us together as his bride, we see this new life that he gives to us has social impact. We has relational impact. It changes how we interact with each other. But for this morning's sake, we're not going to look at those specific relationships. We're going to look at how do we view all relationships? How are our relationships shaped by what Jesus has done? And we're going to spend our time by looking at three commands that come from Colossians 3. Three commands that that are gonna center our time together. The first is put on. The second is let peace rule. And then the third is let the word dwell. So put on, let peace rule, let the the word dwell. So the first thing that we see is this command to put on these, these various things. We are called to put on these different traits. And this comes from Colossians 3, starting verse 12. It says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony." So to catch us up on what's going on in, in Colossians so far, because we are dropping in to Colossians 3, there's, there's two chapters, two and a half chapters before this. Uh, Paul has been making a case as to what Jesus has done for us. He, he says, you've been made alive in Christ. You have been reconciled with God because Jesus has come in all the glory that's due to him that changes how we live. And so Colossians 3 is this chapter then, so how do we live? 
And he starts by saying all of these different things that we take off, almost like a garment that we, that we take off, that we remove from ourselves. The, these aspects of our life that used to be true before we knew Jesus, but no longer have a place in our life because we've been given this new identity. We've been made alive in Christ. We've been reconciled with him. These things that no longer have a place in our life because of what Jesus has done for us. Things like um, evil desire and covetousness, idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, slander, all of these things we take off. Like these are all our old clothes. They don't have a place in my new life anymore in Jesus. But now in this section, he starts to get to the positive side of that. If that's what we're taking off, what then are we putting on? These different aspects of this new identity that's been given based off of the work that Jesus has done, we are made new people. What is that newness that, that we are putting on? And if you look at that list that's given to us, all of these things that we put on, they have relational impact. They're not just isolated. They're not just individual things. They, they shape how uh, we interact with people around us. There's, there's social implications based off of this newness that we're putting on. So it, it's almost like maybe you have clothes that you reserve for when you're going out, or you, maybe even church clothes. You have clothes that you wear specifically because you know you're going to be around other people, or, or maybe you're not like that at all. Like they're, they're just clothes, but almost all of us, when we know that there's a family picture being taken or, or we're being... Uh, we're, we're taking the picture for something, we put a little bit more care into the clothes that we're picking out some of those times. Like, we, we know people are going to see this, so I, I got to make sure that I'm wearing the right clothes. Uh, that there's kind of a similar idea here, that there's a social impact. There's a relational connotation to what it is that we're putting on. We're putting on clothes that impact those of us around us. But even before he starts talking about uh, anything that we put on, he reminds us as to why. Why do we have this new identity? Why are we able to take off what it was before and put on these new things? Why, is, why are we able to have this relational change that happens? Well, he starts by saying, put on because of who you are, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved you have this new identity, so put on the markers of that new identity because you are chosen, holy, and loved. I mean, do not read over that too quickly. God has called you his chosen one. God has made you holy. God has called you loved. Could we ever get tired of reading those words? You are holy, chosen, and loved. That the God of the universe has made you known, has given you this new identity of being chosen, holy, loved. And because that is who he's made us to be, we then put on these traits that reflect that nature out, that impact the relationships that we have around us. The first thing that it says that we are to put on, it says to put on compassionate hearts. Um, compassionate hearts. Uh, the idea is that this is that, that inner affection that we have for others. Uh, an older translation calls it, uh, or says to put on uh, bowels of compassion. Uh, the idea is that in, in the Jewish understanding, the different parts of the body were connected, different emotions, and, and the bowels, uh, that feeling from inside of you is that deep care and love for other people. This is the affection that comes for someone else, even and probably especially when they don't deserve it. They, they can't pay you back in kind. This is a compassion that's felt for others even when they don't deserve it. It says then to put on kindness. 
This is kind of the outward acting of compassion that because of that affection that we have for other people, it's, it's the kindness that we treat others with. As, as we feel love for them, we act upon that love with kindness. It says to put on humility. In, in all of this list, it, it, uh, there's uh, all of these different things that we put on has a, has a negative pair that comes from earlier in Colossians with what it is that we take off. And, and humility is the opposite of self-centeredness or covetousness. The idea is that this life is not all about uh, just uh, trying to make ourselves out to be bigger than we really are or just to view life as a way to get more and more and more for ourselves. Instead, we put on humility. Similarly, we put on meekness. This is that, that gentleness. It's the opposite of, of being driven by and operating under the mentality of anger with other people. It's hard to be angry when I understand who I am. I'm humble. It's hard to be angry, to, to be driven by that. When I'm, I'm meek, I'm defined by gentleness. We put on patience. This is tied very closely with, with the other one that we have, to bearing with one another. Patience is, is, that, is that slow steadiness of not seeking revenge, of not looking to get back at someone else. I, I mean, how often do we watch movies and it's, and it's a revenge type movie and they say a phrase like, I've waited a long time for this. Like the idea is that revenge is something that's, that we're waiting upon for a long, long time. And yet to not act upon revenge takes even more patience. I've waited a long time for this and it's taken even longer to not look forward to this day. The patience that we have for each other. And then finally, we put on bearing with one another. Another word for this would be enduring, that we don't quit on other people, that we don't stop when things are hard. This new identity that's been given to us because of Jesus, in light of all that he's done for us, we put on this new nature, all of which has social impact, impacts the people that we are in relationship with, putting on compassion and kindness and humility and meekness, patience and endurance. And all of these things build to something. As we are acting out of this way, in light of what Jesus has done, as we are putting on these different traits, it results in another one that's given to us, forgiving one another. That as we put on this new nature, as we're truly flourishing in how we were made to be, as our relationships are flourishing, it leads to forgiveness. It tells us as well as to why we forgive. It says, forgive each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. Again, it keeps going, and none of this is ever, like work really hard at doing this. It's a remind, reminder us, look at what Jesus has done for you. Look at what Jesus, Jesus has forgiven you, so forgive each other. So often when we talk about forgiveness, we, we wanna get to what is the extent of forgiveness. You know, how many times do I need to do it? Even one of Jesus' followers, Peter, asked that. You know, what if they don't repent? Then, then I'm off the hook, right? What if it was, was something truly awful? I mean, people have gone through horrible things and those are really hard to forgive. But if what we're focused on is trying to find the outs of forgiving one another, it might reveal that we don't understand the extent to which we have been forgiven. As we put on this new nature in light of what Jesus has done, it leads to this aspect of forgiving one another. I think this kind of functions as the test I mean, it's hard to see, am I being more compassionate today than I was yesterday? Am I more meek than I've ever been? Is this the best at humility that I've ever gotten to? Uh, it's hard for us to evaluate, are these things within us? But I think the test for this, to see, am I putting on 
compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, and endurance. The test for it is the question, how easily do I forgive? Because if I'm not willing to forgive, it's showing that, that I don't have compassion or kindness for, for someone else. If I'm not willing to forgive, it shows that I'm viewing myself with anything other than humility and meekness. If, if I'm not willing to, to forgive, it shows that I'm not being patient with them. I'm not enduring with them. The, the test for if we're putting on this new nature in light of what Jesus has done is how easily do I forgive those around me? Those who as well are also called chosen and holy and loved. It's that idea of love that we circle back around to. It says, above all these, put on love. The idea is that as we're putting on these different garments, that the thing that ties it all together, that brings it all into harmony, is love. Elsewhere in the Bible, it talks about how love covers a multitude of sins. The idea is that, that as I love you, it, it, it's going to stop a lot of sins in their tracks because I'm being driven by my love for you. As you love me, it's going to stop you from acting in a sinful way towards me because you're driven by love. Above all these things, we put on love and the understanding of how lavishly we have been loved by Jesus. Always going back to look at what he has done he has made you his bride. And as we be that bride, as we interrelate with each other in the relationships that we have with each other, we put on this new nature that's been given to us by him. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, leading to forgiveness, identified by love. The second command that we have from this section is to let peace rule. We are called, as we, uh, in our relationships, to let peace rule. And this comes from Colossians 3.15. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called to one body, and be thankful. It, one of the things that I'm, I'm so uh, grateful for in the Bible is it doesn't pretend that once we start following Jesus, that all of our relationships get really easy. I mean, look at the things that it tells us to put on or, or reminds us of. Uh, put on bearing with one another. Put on patience. Uh, let peace rule. Uh, all these things indicate the same thing, that people are hard. That, that the idea is that, that we don't just come to relationships and it's super easy. We're told to, to have these things that, that don't come naturally for us because relationships are so difficult. That while we're made for each other, while we need to have relationships, the reason why people give up or don't even try is because relationships are so difficult. And so how much do we crave peace in our lives? As, as we're told to let peace rule, that the, there's, there's so much of our lives that we would love peace for. We, we pray for pre peace between nations. We, we want peace with other people that, that we don't feel at, at, at relational ease with. Maybe even within ourselves, we pray for peace as we feel disquieted or, or anxious or depressed or nervous. And yet, the nations still rage. People still can't even be in the same room with each other because they aren't at peace. And so we continue to cry out, we crave peace. And it shows us how we can find lasting and real peace in our relationships. Because it's not peace that you and I generate. It's not peace that we, we try really, really hard to make sure that happens. We're told that the peace that's possible is the peace of Christ. That is the peace that's given to us by him. 
And as we read through the rest of the Bible, we see how it is that we receive this peace, how, what it is uh, that this peace of Christ looks like. And first and foremost, it's a peace that's given to us as individuals. The peace of Christ is, is, is given to us as, as individual people saved by Jesus. Uh, back in uh, the book of John, Jesus was talking to his disciples and he spoke about this peace. John 14, um, 27 says this, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace. So what is the peace of Christ? He's telling us, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you, do I give to you, but this peace is one that lets our hearts not be troubled and lets us not be afraid. And why is that? What's unique about this peace? Well, the peace of of Christ that's given to us is a reminder of who we are, who we've been made in Jesus. That because he he has done all that he's done, I can feel at peace. I I don't have to be afraid. Yes, there's fearful things that come along, but ultimately I know my my identity is secure and stable. I I don't have to be troubled. I mean, yes, there's, there's trouble that shows up in this life, but ultimately I know what Jesus has accomplished and what he will do. And so there's peace to be had. Even back in Colossians, or earlier on in it, before chapter three, it tells us how this peace comes about. This is uh, Colossians chapter one. If I can find the right bookmarker. There we go. Colossians uh, chapter one in verse 20. It says this, and through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. How do we get this peace? By the blood of his cross. That the peace that we have, the peace of Christ that's given to us, the reason why we can feel secure within ourselves has been won by by the blood of Jesus. That he has reconciled all things to himself. I am no longer an enemy of God. Peace has been brought because of Jesus. And that's the peace that's given to us as individuals. But the passage says, let peace rule your hearts. I only have one of them. And so it's talking about all of us. Our hearts are identified by the peace. Us as individuals brought into peace with God, but we as as a collective, we in the relationships that we are in, the peace of Christ rules us. That identifies us because of what God's done for us individually and because his peace that, that rescues us, that reconciles us, is the peace that defines us as a whole. That the reason why we can be at peace is because this peace of Christ has been given to us. We don't feel trouble. We, we don't feel afraid because it is the peace of Christ that's given to us individually that shapes our relationships. And so that, that's why in relationships we seek to be peacemakers. We seek to, to reconcile things as well because of what's been done for us. And so we enter into relationships in a non-domineering way. We don't look to abuse or, or manipulate or, or lead people in a way that's, that's for our good but not necessarily in theirs. But it also means that we don't retreat in relationships, as if retreat is an act of peace. It's not. Maybe when we think about the things that we're supposed to put on uh, to stick out to us of, of humility and meekness, and, and we're trying to understand what does it mean to make peace, and, and those are two traits that, that could come to mind for it, but oftentimes we have a bad picture of what humility or meekness looks like. For, for many of them, or, or at least for me, it, it could be this idea of, of over-critique of myself or, or trying to make myself out to be nothing. Like, oh, this is my humble voice. Like, you could do whatever you want because I'm just nobody. Like, that's not what it is. The, the idea is humility comes because we know who we are. 
Because our identity is secure in Jesus, because I have been won by the blood-bought peace of Christ, that because I know who I am in that unwavering way, that is what enables me to have peace in relationships. That, that uh, I know who I am, and that is why we can have peace. Like you, you can hurt me, but ultimately I know who I am, and so that's not gonna uproot my entire world because I'm at peace. We can have a conflict with each other, and, and not to minimize that, but that's not gonna destroy our relationship because I know who I am, and you know who you are, and so we can ultimately have peace. That any conflict, any, any uh, damage that's done, any wounds that are created do not destroy relationships because we know who each other are. Because it's been won by the blood of Christ. Because the peace of Christ rules in our hearts. Verse 15 ends with uh, thankfulness. I said that uh, we were going to be focusing on the th- on three commands in Colossians three. I mean, this is a sneaky one that's in there, and but I didn't want to have four different points because this this goes to the same point. It, the command is be thankful, but I think it's deeply tied to this idea of let peace rule, because when we are at peace, it starts to come out of our life as thankfulness. Think about it negatively first, that, that when we are not thankful, it's showing that we are not at peace. We're, we're trying to find something else. We're looking down other avenues. We're looking for something that's going to make us feel at peace. A lack of thankfulness is showing us that we have a lack of peace. Uh, on the other hand, when we are at peace, it, it starts to flow out of us as thankfulness, that, that I feel secure. I, I, there's, there's no conflict. Nothing is overwhelming. And so that starts to ooze out of me as thankfulness for other people, for the, the circumstances that I'm in. And so I think that this functions as our test. As we are, are questioning this idea of what does it look like to have peace rule, I, I think the, the, the test for us becomes the question of, am I thankful? Am I thankful for the people that, that are in my life? Am I thankful for, for how things are going on? Yeah, nothing's perfect right now, but, but do I recognize how at peace I am? And that starts to come out of my life as thankfulness. Because this new identity that we put on that shapes the relationships around us, we are called to let peace rule. And then finally, we have uh, the third command that's given to us. And that is to let the word dwell. Let the word of Christ dwell. And this comes from verses 16 and 17. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we, we've had some diagnostic questions that we've had. So the first, uh, we were told to put on these different traits that reflect this new identity that's been given to us. And, and the test for that, the question that we can ask is how easily do I forgive? Then we had uh, the command to let peace uh, rule uh, over you are. And so the question that we had is, is, am I thankful? The idea is that in my relationships, am I easily forgiving people, which reveals and it's rooted in what Jesus has done? Am I, am I showing my thankfulness for other people, the people that God has put in my life that, that I need, that, that I can truly flourish with? And here we have another question, another diagnostic question that we can ask. Am I doing everything, am I, um, are my actions consistent with the word of God 
in, uh, consistent with and promoting the word of God and helping others to worship him. So to put it more simple than that, am I following what God says to do and helping people worship him? Am I following what God says to do and helping people worship him? The idea is that as we're so saturated in the word of God, it starts to flow out of us as we teach and admonish and encourage and correct the other people who are around us. The idea is that, that as we're so focused on what God has done, how that's changed us and shaped us, that that starts to come out of us and helping other people to worship him. I, I, I've made the point many times before, even as recently as last week, that, that as we sing, as we worship God, that that has an impact on those of us who are around us. That we might have said or, or even think, you know, my wor- uh, worship is just between me and God. It sure isn't. That everything that we do, all of the Christian life has social impact. We're wearing our church clothes. We're, we're wearing the, the, those outfits that impact the relationships around us in every part of the Christian life, which includes our worship of him. I, I mean, we read this passage and I think we put too firm of a stop and it says teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing. It's a comma, it's not a period. One of the ways that we teach and admonish one another is by our singing, our worship of God is, is helping those around us to be pointed back to him, to learn more about him, to be shaped by him in this new identity. Our relationships are impacted by our worship of him. But there is still that teaching and admonishing, that encouragement, that the correction that we have. And maybe some of us in here have a personality that, that rushes to this point. Oh, I got some things to correct in the people in my life. But don't forget where this is situated. That this teaching and admonishing, this encouragement and correction comes after everything that we've already talked about. It comes after putting on that new self, which to remind you includes compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, bearing with one another and patience. It comes with the understanding that we are supposed to be craving and seeking peace with each other. I mean, how often do I have that mindset when I'm trying to correct someone else? The, the idea is that if I'm not willing to bear with you, that if I'm just rolling into your life telling you what you're doing wrong is rolling out, that if I'm not being patient with you, my teaching is worthless. That, that if I'm not uh, coming with encouragement, with meekness and humility, in some way trying to lord over you, thinking that I'm better in some way, then my encouragement is worthless. But the other side is given to us as well. That in all things, we don't ignore truth. Even as we're seeking peace with one another, we do not ignore truth. It says, let, the command of this passage is, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That that is our baseline for all things. We continue to go to what God has said for for our source of truth, our source for everything. I mean, after all, we talk about this new identity that's been given to us in Jesus. The reason why we know about that is because of what God has said. We talk about how we need each other. We were made for relationships. The reason why we know about that is because of what God has said. We talk about what we put on in this life so that these relationships can flourish. And the reason why we know about that is because of what God has said. We continue to go back to what has God said for all of life. In this series, we're gonna keep going back to God's word to look at specific relationships that we have to understand how are they shaped? How can they flourish? How can we truly be as God has made us to be as these relationships grow and increase and and become better? But I think that those three diagnostic questions in, in every relationship that we have could be a help to us. How easily do I forgive them? How thankful am I for them? 
Am I following what God says to do in helping this person worship? I think those are helpful questions in every aspect of our relationship. But again, as that starts to sound like like, uh, some works that we need to do, it reminds us once again of how this is possible where this new identity comes from, how, how we are able to flourish in this way, how these relationships are able to grow and become even better. Because the passage says to do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. So how is it that we flourish? How is it that our relationships flourish? We keep looking to Jesus. That he is the one who calls us chosen and holy and loved that he is the one who gives us this new identity that we live out of this new reality that shapes our relationships. It is Jesus that enables us to act, to live out of this identity. In other words, every word and deed that we do is representing who it is that is our savior, who it is that is our father. That what he has done for us shapes our relationships. The love that we have from him comes out of us as love for other people. The, the, we forgive others because of how, he's for, uh, for how he has forgiven us. The peace that we have is not something we generated, it's the peace of Christ. We continue to go back pointing people to God in word and worship as we look to him for all things. What he has done for me shapes the relationships around me. You even see that in the passage. It continues to flicker back and forth. Maybe you noticed it between individual terms and group terms. It says, uh, let the peace of Christ, which is something given to individuals, dwell in your hearts, which is something for the whole. It is let the word dwell in you richly so that you could be one body bearing with one another. It continues to go back and forth with this language. It's the reminder that we need each other. And in Jesus, we have everything that we need for each other.